Hello and welcome back to the Tani Talks Life, the TTL, brought to you by the Tani Talks Podcast. This is the sheer where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic is signs along the way. All of my podcasts of the Tani Talks Parsha TTP, Tani Talks Perke Avos TTPA, Tani Talks Daf TTD, Tani Talks OT, and this live show, Tani Talks Life, the TTL, lots of acronyms for you to remember, are on different podcast forums, including iTunes Podcast, Google Podcast, and most recently, the wonderful app, the Jewish version of podcasts called Yidpod. Download it on the App Store. It's fantastic. There's also another project in the works. Stay tuned. We hope it goes through. And that should be very exciting as well. Shout out to Jake W. and Ellie N. for their amazing hard work. Big shout out to Chaim C. for his wonderful work on Yidpod and Yidflix. And the shear should be for the Rafua and Yeshua of anyone who wants and anyone who needs especially Ita Dubra and everyone else who needs one. They should have a Yeshua and a Rafua Bikarov. I am always reachable at RebT at SheerEnjoyment.com. Any questions, any comments, any suggestions, feel free to reach out at any time. Do you ever feel like you wish you had signs to lead you along in life? Ever wish that you could be pointed in a certain path in order where to go in order to know where to go forward? Sometimes in life we can feel that we are not sure where we are supposed to go. At times we may feel like we have to look for outposts, light posts, and signs along the way. But remember, Hashem is always in the shadows, always behind the scenes, sending us signs and symbols throughout our life. We have to look for the signs in the life of our lives and those around us. If we look for Hashem, we'll be able to see Him and find Him. Oftentimes He sends a sign, sort of a wink, to us in our lives. At times there are signs in our life that point us where we need to go at the behest of Hashem, sending us small hints, gestures, or symbols. Other times when we are down or lost, Hashem sends us this wink or this lamppost along the way to show us we're not alone, nor are we ever truly by ourselves. Oftentimes, we can feel Hashem sending us the signal Himself and sending us the sign Himself. When a person looks for a house, and the house wasn't on the market yet, but somehow they found it, that's a special sign. When we look for a car deal, somehow you stumble along to the one store that happens to have that one car you want left in that color you really like, that's a sign. When you can't find the stove you want and that one last store finally came through for you, it's another sign, a signpost from Hashem. Hashem is always around and puts signs all around us. We just have to look for them and see them. The question is, what are some signs and symbols in Judaism? Dr. Yvette Altmiller points out on H.com. Is there a universal Jewish symbol? Around the world, people associate a plethora of signs with Jews and Judaism from the Star of David to the Menorah to other ones as well. The Star of David, the Magin David, is one of the most recognizable Jewish symbols. It appears on many Jewish tombstones, is the central symbol on the Israeli flag, the flag of the State of Israel. Surprisingly, given its widespread popularity, the Star of David is fairly recent, has only been associated with Jews for a few hundred years. While the six-pointed Star of David might seem more recent, the term Magen David is old. The Talmud mentions Magen David, literally the shield of King David, protecting King David and his descendant, the Mashiach, 
as pointed out in the Gemara and Pesachim 117b. This beautiful image is also found in Jewish liturgy. Each Shabbat, after we hear the Haftorah read in, in the synagogue in Shul, the reader refers to the divine, to Hashem as Magain David, the protector of David and the Jewish people. There is a legend that King David, David HaMelech, indeed did carry a six-pointed star with him in the form of his shield and the shields of the soldiers around him that they carried. They were said to comprise two triangles, one pointing up and one pointing down, joined in the middle forming a six-pointed star. This construction is said to have made King David's shield more sturdy, more strong than his opponent's. Some symbolic explanations for the six-pointed star being identified with Judaism include Kabbalistic explanations of it representing two arrows, one pointing up to Shemayim, to heaven, and one down to earth. The Star of David also has 12 individual sides corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel, the Shifteka. It also can be seen as a correlation to Shabbat, to Shabbos, with a central core corresponding to Shabbos, surrounded by six points corresponding to the six other days of the week. The menorah is the official emblem of the state of Israel. The menorah is a key Jewish emblem. The Torah relates how God himself gave Moshe instructions for building this holy seven-branch candelabra on Har Sinai, on Mount Sinai. You shall make a menorah of pure gold. Be'asita menorah kapod zahav. Whatever the phraseology is from Exodus 25, from Shemot Chavhei. The golden menorah was placed in the Mishkan, the very first Jewish house of worship. When Jews conquered Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, and built the ancient temple there, the Beis Amigdash, they moved the menorah to the temple where it was kept lit all the time. The holiday of Hanukkah, my favorite holiday of the entire year, commemorates relighting this precious candelabra after it was desecrated by occupying Greek soldiers and Jewish soldiers recaptured and restored the temple in the year 139 BCE. Hanukkah is coming. It's almost here, just a couple of weeks away. God willing, we'll talk hopefully about Hanukkah next time a little bit. When the state of Israel was declared in 1948, the new country asked artists to submit ideas for a national symbol. Maxim and Gabriel Shamir were celebrated graphic designers born in Latvia. They each studied art in Germany before moving to the land of Israel in the 1920s and establishing a popular graphic design studio in Tel Aviv. They suggested the emblem that is familiar to millions of Israelis today for the National Seal, a modern rendering of the ancient menorah. A modern rendering of the ancient menorah. Gabriel Shamir later recalled, After we decided to use the menorah, we looked for another element and concluded that olive branches are the most beautiful expression of the Jewish people's love of peace. They flanked the menorah in their design with olive leaves, reminding the world of the Jewish people's ancient heritage in the land of Israel. The symbol of Israel's ministry of tourism is a stylized depiction of two men carrying a bunch of grapes that is so large they have to use a pole with one man holding up each end to transport it. If that sounds familiar, it's because it's talking about the famous biblical story of the ten spies, which is an interesting thing to think about. The Meraglim, after God brought the Jewish people out of Egypt, out of Mitzrayim, he led them to the borders of the land of Israel. The Jews asked for permission to scout out the country. 
And Moshe talks about in the Torah when he writes it, Al-Pi Hashem, it says, Shalach Lecha Anashim. Why doesn't it say, Shalach Anashim, Shalach Lecha? Because Hashem knows the land is fantastic. He's giving it to us. But they, the people, wanted the spice to be sent. So Hashem says, you want it? You can do it. But I don't think it's a good idea. Send for yourself. Shalach Lecha, for yourself. And we know what happened. Twelve men slipped into Israel, were amazed at what they saw. Pomegranates, figs, grapes, and other delicious fruit grew throughout the area. They brought back an enormous cluster of grapes to show their brethren. Ten of the spies in the end brought back an evil report, showing the grapes as proof of giants living in the land, whereas Joshua and Caleb, Yehoshua and Kalev, the only two that stood up for the wonderfulness of Israel, the other two spies, they brought back a positive report. The official crest of the city of Jerusalem is a lion pictured against a background of the stones of the western wall, surrounded by stylized olive leaves representing peace. It refers to the tribe of Yehuda, one of the twelve ancient Jewish tribes. When our biblical patriarch Jacob was about to die, we're about to read about him this week, moving forward in his story. So when he was at the end of his life, Yaakov, he bestowed one final blessing on each of his 12 sons who founded the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. When Yaakov blessed Yehuda, Yehuda, that's from my Parsha, Vayichi, one of my favorite Parshas, my favorite Parsha in the entire Torah. Lots of blessings abound in that Parsha. He compared him to a lion. Something like that. I forget the read the rest of it. I used to know it all by heart. Basically talking about how Yehuda is a lion, and he said that one day his descendants would be among the most prominent Jews. A lion cub is Judah. From the prey, my son, you elevated yourself. He crouches, lies down like a lion, and like an awesome lion, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Yehuda, lo yesor shevet me Yehuda, nor a scholar from among his descendants. That, of course, comes from my favorite parsha, my bar mitzvah parsha, Vayechi. After the reign of King Shlomo in the 10th century BCE, the 10 northern tribes split off from the nation of Israel and were eventually lost. The 10 lost tribes, the famous 10 lost tribes, some say that Menashe and Don were found and came back to Israel. Only the tribes of Yehuda and Benjamin, Benjamin, remained and were known in later antiquity as the kingdom of Judea. The area of the tribe of Yehuda encompassed Yerushalayim, which was its capital, making the image of the lion of Yehuda, a particularly fitting emblem or sign or symbol for the city of Yerushalayim today. Chai is another one that comes up in Judaism. What is Chai? Chai means life, of course. Yudchet, Chai, the two letters leading up to 18. This uplifting word is often used in Jewish jewelry and other Judaic objects, affirming one of the most important values in the Jewish way of life, preserving and celebrating life, a common toast on Jewish occasions, L'chaim, to life. Spelled with the Hebrew letters Chet and Yud, the word Chai is the numerical value, of course, of 18. Chet is 8, Yud is 10. Because of this, it's common for Jews to give gifts or donate to charity in amounts that are multiples of 18. The Torah and its commandments are compared with a tree of life. We say every Shabbat, every Shabbos, the Torah is like a tree. Torah is like water, Torah is like fire, Torah is like a tree. You hold on to it, you have good roots for life. 
King Solomon wrote, It is a tree of life to those who grasp it. Those supporters are praiseworthy. We say that every Shabbos. The term is first used in Bereshis when God tells Adam and Chava that they can eat from any fruits in the Garden of Eden. Gan Eden with two exceptions, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Seduced by the evil snake, Adam and Chava broke this command and ate fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life remained untouched. In later works, the tree of life is used as a metaphor for the Torah, the famous 16th century book, Eitz Chaim, by Israeli Rabbi Chaim ben Yosef Vital, is a classic work of Jewish mysticism and expounds on the relationship between the spiritual and material worlds. After the mall, the flood, Noah sends out a bird a few times, another symbol. One of those times, a dove comes back holding an olive branch in its beak, the image of a dove holding an olive branch in its beak recalls this moment of profound hope and joy. When Noah realized his many long months of living in a dark, cramped ark were behind him and life could begin again. And that also is a symbol that's seen different points throughout the world, throughout history as well. There are, of course, the religious elements of, as well. The mezuzah that sits, the talus that's filling, the Shabbos candles, Hanukkah candles coming up soon. Guilt and so on and so forth. Judaism is filled with religious signs and religious symbols and symbols and signs in general. So we see there are many different symbols and signs in Judaism itself representing different elements and aspects of life. What signs and symbols do you see in your own life that can lead you along the way? We look for the signs along the way. We need the signs along the way. What signs, what symbols are in your path, are in your life, are in your surroundings, are in your existence? H.com points out on the Daily Lift, every person in the world waits for signs of recognition and affection. Students wait for signs of friendliness from their teacher. Teachers await signs of respect from students. Children want signs of empathy from their parents. Parents hunger for affection from their children. A customer wants his needs to be understood. A salesperson needs to feel that his merchandise is appreciated. So give people what they want. That comes from Ali Shore and Rabbi Pliskin's Gateway to Happiness. Signs can therefore be inward or outward, pointing to you along the way or helping those around you. Make sure to give different signs in life. And to those around you. H.com points out with author Dina Coopersmith. Yaakov loved Rachel and said to Lavan, I will work for you for seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. That of course comes from this week's Parsha. Parsha's Vayetze. Yaakov going on the way, building up his family, four different wives, 12 kids, building up to it to have the shift day come. Yaakov asked Rachel, will you marry me? Rachel said, yes, but my father is a trickster. And we'll try to switch Leah in my place. So Yaakov gave her signs. Very famous Medrash. When the night of the wedding arrived, Lavan brought Leah to the chuppah. Rachel said to herself, now my sister will be humiliated. She gave over the signs to Leah. That actually comes from the Talmud Megillah 13b. Yaakov and Rachel anticipated this trick of Lavan and prepared for it. Yaakov gave Rachel a coder password, which was to give over to him at the wedding to confirm that she was the real bride because they probably had the uh, bulletproof veil. They couldn't see anything through it. He didn't know who was under that veil. 
at that time. In a bizarre twist, Rachel, seeing the ruse about to be carried out, cannot allow her sister to be humiliated. It's as if she is so overwhelmed by compassion at the pain of another that she has no choice but to give over the password. We actually know that Rachel has major compassion also for her children. Rachel, very famous song also by Simcha Liner and the other one that the Maccabees sing. Rachel is pictured in the, in the Tanakh, and Navi, as crying over her children. She has major empathy, major compassion for her sister and for her children. Rachel absolutely cannot stand by and witness another person's suffering, especially her sister, even if it were at the expense of her love, her future, and her destiny. The only calculation that seemed to enter her mind was, I cannot allow my sister to be humiliated. That's it. Sometimes, signs can be a key to a relationship builder or a relationship killer. Make sure to use the signs wisely and properly in your own life. H.com points out from the H. Rabbi, the Jewish belief is that astrology is a real force. It is one of the means that God placed in the world of channeling spiritual forces to the physical world. Needless to say, in the Jewish view, it is not a force independent of God. No forces are. People are influenced by such factors as the day of the week they were born on and the ruling constellation at the time of their birth. See, especially the Talmud and Shabbat 156a. We talked about this in another life lecture and another life talk from Tani Talks Life, formerly the lecture series. For example... Somebody born on Thursday will be very giving, very generous, generous, very full of chesed and wanting to do for others. The zodiac also, to some degree, directs the forces which flow to the earth at any given time and can be used to very roughly predict future events. Although the science behind this has all but been forgotten today, the ancients were much more familiar with it. Even though such forces do exist, the Torah forbids both the study of astrology and the inquiring about the future from soothsayers. We know that Shaul, Hamelech, brought up Shmuel from the dead. We're not going to go into exactly how it was, but in the Navi, it talks about it. Shmuel was very upset with him. It was not really a good thing to do. Even examples abound in Tanakh. Be careful not to be fully swayed by the culture's obsession with signs, symbols, zodiacs, and astrology. Don't get sucked in and watch out for its effects. Malka Tugar points out on Chabad.org, in Parshas Chayasara, which we read very recently, Yitzchak marries Rivka. Sarah had passed away, and Yitzchak was still mourning the death of his great mother. But soon after he married Rivka, he was comforted because he saw how special she was. How did Yitzchak know? There were three signs, very famous, we teach the kids at a very young age. When Rivka entered Yitzchak's tent, a cloud of glory hovered above. Yitzchak said, while my mother was alive, a cloud of glory always rested upon her tent, but it disappeared when she died. Isaac watched for other signs, and they came very soon. As Rivka baked the challah for Shabbat, for Shabbat, she modestly told Yitzchak, there seems to have been a special blessing in the dough. It rose so well. Yitzchak was overjoyed. He recalled that his mother's dough had the same blessing. By the end of the week, the third sign was clear as well. Rivka's Shabbat candles, Shabbos candles, burned all week long, just as Sarah's had. During the entire week, Yitzchak and Rivka felt the holiness which came from the light of the Shabbos candles. We too, in some small way, can also, by the way, as a side, feel the beautiful light of the Shabbos candles. 
I always say when my wife lights the candles, there's like this metaphorical spiritual blue aura that I feel going through the house, and you feel the peace. You feel the peace in the atmosphere going about your home. Every mitzvah which we perform brings light into the world. And that's a major element of Hanukkah, again, which is coming up very soon, about bringing the light. Dafka in the winter. Dafka when we change the clocks. Dafka when it gets dark so soon. The darkness is long and cold and deep, especially at the night, especially in the winter. Hanukkah. Dafka comes in the winter to bring light into the darkness, to bring light into the world, to spread joy. You look at the houses, you look at the windows, and I get... Uh, a sort of little thrill when I see all these menorahs, all these Hanukkiahs in the can- in the windowsill lighting up the night. So we see that the light can bring light into the world. But we don't always see or feel this light. The Shabbos candles are special. The Hanukkah candles are special because we can actually see their light. The light of the mitzvah shining in our homes. When we watch the peaceful flickering of the Shabbat candles or the Yom Tov candles or the Hanukkah candles... We understand and feel the special holiness that comes with this mitzvah. Sometimes we can see or feel the signs, so bring those into your life. Signs can have a special power to show us that someone is right for us in our life. As our spouse, as a friend, as a coworker, as a partner. We just have to see the signs and recognize them, internalizing them into our own life. Chabad points out from the Lubavitcher Rebbe that a haven is of little use if it is inaccessible or its location is unknown. As is the case with the physical cities of refuge, the Ari Miklat, which we read about in the Torah throughout the year, it is the community's responsibility to straighten the roads, to repair them, and to broaden them, to remove all impediments and obstacles and post signs at all crossroads. Interestingly, Aver Hayardim, where Reuven Gun Chatzi Menashe, not even Chatzi, but whatever, lived before the rest of the tribes settled and lived in Israel proper, they had three cities, Ari Miklat. And the whole rest of Israel also had Ari Miklat, which I find interesting as a side note. That means that those two and a half tribes had so much trouble that they needed the Ari Miklat for people to run to if there was accidental death. As much as the entire rest of the other nine and a half or so shavits, shvatim, in the entire Israel. But either way, in both areas, signs had to be posted at the crossroads to show people where to go. This imperative has special meaning to us today when the roads of life are teeming with spiritual refugees. It is our sacred duty, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, to station ourselves at all the crossroads and serve as living signposts calling out refuge. Refuge and pointing the way to the haven of Torah. So signs are not just physical in nature, not just on the road or block warning us of traffic or cliffs or speed ahead, but also ones in spiritual nature. We have to be the signs and light posts for those lost around us, those not seeing the blatant fallacies and pitfalls of society around us. Rabbi Sachs, that's Allah Shalom, who just celebrated his yard site, not celebrated in a bad way, but celebrated the beautiful life that he had. He writes on H.com that the Torah contains musical notes to read, to learn, to lean on Shabbat, to lean on Shabbos. There's one special note called the Shalshelis that comes up four times in the Torah, one of them being very, very recently in, 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 in uh, Sefer Barashas, 
and it's one note that goes ah, 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 ah. they do it three times that tone and it comes up only four times in the entire Torah four fascinating accounts of such moments happen throughout the Torah what links them is not the words but then music from quite early on in Jewish history the Torah was sung not just read Moshe at the end of his life calls the Torah a song, a shir or a shirah Different traditions grew up in Israel and Babylon and from around the 10th century onward, the chant began to be systemized in the form of the musical notations as the Ta'ame HaMikra, otherwise known as Trup. The cantillation signs devised by the Tiberian Masorets, the guardians of the Judaism sacred text, one very rare note known as the Shalshalas chain appears in the Torah four times only. Each time it is a sign of existential crisis. Three instances are in Boratius. Excuse me, I stand corrected. Three instances are in Boratius. The fourth is in Sam, about leadership. In a broad sense, all of them are about leadership. But it's the fact that it's sung, that it's a sign to show the reader. And the, those that lane have to do this very, very well in advance. I'm not such a good Balkriya. I could daven. But Balkriya is very, very special talent. So the, it, it's a way of showing, signaling what should be sung, what should be said in those parshiot, in those psukim. Even how we view the Torah can be seen from musical symbols and signs to direct us along the way to how the verses should unfold. So as we read the Torah, as we see our life, as we see those around us, how do we look for the signs along the way? How do we interpret the signs along the way? How can they lead us in our day, along our paths, in our own ways? Bluma Gordon points out on H.com, In life, you need to go along the way following the signs. Determine your ultimate destination. Decide on the very best route to take. Be sure to study each and every step carefully. It is the traversing of each individual highway and exit that makes up the ultimate destination. Lay out your long-term goals, then determine the how how you will best reach your goal by mapping out a practical path and setting up short-term, more attainable goals. Lahavda, lahavda, we even do this in the DOE, in the Board of Ed, especially in 75, District 75, when you deal with children that have special needs, there's a long-term goal, which is basically the year goal, and there's short-term goals, three goals. By three months, Charlie will do X. By six months, Charlie will do X. By nine months, Charlie will do X. And then by the end of the year, we hope to attain the full goal. So Alhamdulillah, in life too, we have to have our long-term goal and the short-term goals to get there. Long-term goal, I want to do X. I want to be live on the Jewish radio, practically, personally. Short-term, I'm going to do podcasts so I could use my voice till I get there. Long-term, I want to run, uh, Moishi says I want to run the train system. Short-term, let me start learning how to work with trains. Remember, we have to have long-term and short-term goals, map out a practical path how to get there, how to make it attainable. Remember, it is what we make of the hours, the days, the weeks, the minutes of our lives which will determine our destiny. That's why by the Avos, when they pass, it says, Yemei Shnei Chayei Avraham, Yemei Shnei Chayei Sarah. Why does it say Yemei Shnei? Why doesn't it just say how many years? And then it says 127, 147, because they they made the most out of their days and out of their years. Every day was used to the utmost, and for sure, every year was used to the utmost, because they knew how to use the minutes, to use the hours, use the days, use the weeks, use all the years of their life to make the most out of all their time. 
the hours, the days, the weeks. That's what determines the destiny. Don't choose a completely unmarked path. You're likely to get lost. Make sure that the route you take, the route you are taking, has proper road markers and signs that guide you and give you direction all along the way. Seek out guidance and direction along the course of life's odyssey. Find a role model. Perkeavas doesn't say Kanelacharav, it says Aseilacharav. You need to find and make for yourself a role model, not someone you could buy as an acquaintance, as a partner in business. You have to find that role model and make it for yourself. Seek out the wisdom and the teachers of wisdom to stand as guides for you, even on the blackest of roadways. So make sure the path you take is a good one, with proper signs along the path to get you there. Nisan al-Safran points out on H.com. Dave was so familiar with the boring routine of his daily walk to school, he figured he could do it in his sleep. That was a good thing too, since at 7 in the morning he really was often still half asleep. But today something different greeted him on his way. The vacant lot he'd usually cut through had been fenced in with shiny aluminum panels and big danger, construction, keep out. Signs seemed to be hanging everywhere. Of course, Dave, being a curious kind of kid who liked to see interesting things, immediately stopped in his tracks to try to get a peek between the panels. He saw big bulldozers, tall cranes, and men scurrying around in bright yellow hard hats. Looks kind of cool, why not get a closer look? He thought as he pushed himself further and further through the small space between the panels. He had just gotten his whole body through when he held a heavy hand, clapped out on his shoulder. Hey kid, can't you read the signs? A big tall man with a handlebar mustache and a hard hat glared at him. No one's allowed here but us workers, it's dangerous, now get going. He said, pointing his finger toward the gap in the fence that Dave had just squeezed through him. Not having much of a choice, the boy sheepishly did what the man said and went on his way. Dave's school day went by more or less like all the others. Boring. He was walking home when the fenced-in construction site again caught his eye. He peeked in again, curious to see if there was anything new. Nope. Same bulldozers, same cranes, but where were all the workers? Hey, they must be on lunch period break or something. Hey, now I can really go see what's going on in there, Dave thought. Like a flash, Dave slipped back in between the panels. He felt like an explorer climbing over huge rolls of cables, hills of sand, and stacks of metal beams. He heard some voices coming from around the corner. Oh well, lunch break must be over, he figured, and decided to duck behind some beams so no one would see him and make him leave. Suddenly, Dave heard the low rumble of an engine. Looking up, he saw the big, heavy claw of the crane dangling high right above his head and then started coming down right at him. He tried to jump out of the way, but his foot was stuck between the beams. Oh, no! Hey, help! I'm back here! He screamed. But his voice was nothing but a tiny squeak compared to the noisy engine. The huge claw kept coming closer and closer, and Dave didn't know what to do. Suddenly, it got very quiet. The engine noise had stopped. Dave looked up and gasped. <gasps> the claw, which was almost as big as a car, had stopped coming down and now was dangling just a couple of feet over his head. You again! A big voice boomed. 
It was the same construction worker with the mustache he had seen before. Do you know how close you just came to getting killed? Why, if I hadn't seen you at the last minute and stopped my machine? Tell me, just tell me, why did you come back here after I already told you how dangerous it was? The man stared at him, glared at him, waiting for an answer. I was, um, curious. Even as Dave said it, he realized how dumb it sounded and how wrong he was to have almost made the biggest mistake of his life just because he was curious. Sometimes we ignore the signs in our way and flagrantly defy what we should be avoiding, totally bypassing safety and security for danger, thrill, and curiosity. Don't be like the cat. Don't be like the boy, Dave, in the story. Don't go looking for trouble. Stay safe. Follow the signs along the way. Here's another wonderful story from Nisano Safran from H.com. Keep out! No pests allowed! Was the sign on Wendy's door. And it didn't take a genius to figure out whom the sign was meant to keep away. As far as Wendy Abramson was concerned, her younger sister Paula was nothing but a nuisance. She wanted to have as little to do with her as possible. The kid was always trying to follow her around. But Wendy made it very clear she wasn't interested. She made it a point to sit on opposite sides of the school bus from her sister, eat at different tables, and do whatever else she could to put herself wherever Paula wasn't. That's why she got so upset the day her mom dropped the bombshell over breakfast, over the breakfast table. Wendy, I have to go away on business for a week starting tomorrow. And since your father is very busy, we'll be away at work most of the day. I need you to help me. Sure, mom. What can I do? Well, you're big enough to take care of yourself, but Paula isn't. So I need you to look after her, you know. Get her off to school and make her lunch. That kind of stuff. Wendy almost choked on her Cheerios. Mom, please know anything but that. I'll scrub the floors. I'll paint the whole house twice. Just don't make me spend a whole week taking care of that little pest. Wendy's mom nodded. I know it isn't an easy, easy thing to ask of you, and I'm sorry, Wendy, but there just isn't any other choice. And who knows, she added with a cryptic smile, spending more time together might just help you grow closer. Wendy was floored. Growing closer was the last thing on her mind. Here she had been doing everything to avoid that little pest. Now she had to spend a whole week taking care of her. Despite Wendy's best pouts, mournful tears, and door slams, her mom would not change her mind. And the next morning, Wendy braced herself for a miserable week. Come on, get up, get dressed. If you don't hurry, you're going to miss the bus. And if you think I'm going to wait around and walk you to school, forget it. Wendy said with all the charm of a drill sergeant as she quickly set out her sister's clothing and went into the kitchen to fix her breakfast. Why am I stuck having to do this? She kept asking herself as she roughly smeared a wad of peanut butter across the smallest piece of bread she could possibly find and stuffed it quickly into her sister's lunchbox. Wendy and Paula rushed out the door and barely caught the honking school bus. She sat Paula down and as usual went to sit on the opposite end of the bus. Then she thought, gee, I'm kind of responsible for her. Maybe I should at least be able to see her. And grudgingly sat down, not actually near her sister, but not that far away either. After school, Wendy ran straight to her room like she always did and was about to close and lock the door as usual, but then decided to leave the door open a tiny crack, just in case an emergency. 
That night, after finally getting her sister into bed, Wendy plopped down on the living room couch. It had been a rough day, a tough day, and she wanted to relax. Soon she heard some noise coming from Paula's bedroom. She went to check it out and found her sister was crying. Hey, what's the matter with you? She asked. I miss mommy and I'm scared to be alone, Paula sniffed. (laughs) Seeing it was no emergency, Wendy was about to tell her to be quiet and walk back out. Then she looked again at Paula, who looked so small, all curled up in bed. Poor kid, she thought. If I were her age, I'd be scared too. It's okay, Paula. Here, let me read you a nice story and I'm sure you'll feel better. Paula smiled and a few minutes later, she was fast asleep. From that night on, something strange started to happen. Taking care of Paula wasn't turning out to be nearly as horrible as Wendy had expected. She herself didn't even know why, but having to help her sister out so much just somehow made her like her better and care about her more. Each day she found herself waking Paula up more gently, making her nicer lunches and leaving her door open just a bit more. In fact, though she'd never say to the kid's face, her sister was actually starting to grow on her and even seemed kind of cute for a kid's sister. The week passed, and Wendy's mom was due home that afternoon. Was she crazy, or was she going to actually miss taking care of Paula? After giving her a nice warm bowl of oatmeal, Wendy walked Paula out to the bus. They had a nice chat along the way, and when Wendy sat Paula down on her usual seat and then took the seat right next to her, the other kids, even the bus driver, did a double take. That afternoon, their mom came home. She opened the door and was relieved to see that the house was still in one piece. But the nicest surprise was seeing her two daughters laughing and playing a game together in Wendy's room. The usual keep out sign on her door had been replaced by the one saying, Welcome home, Mom! And signed by both of them. Wendy, I see you really came through for me. I hope it didn't take too much out of you. Wendy smiled. Mom, it was fine. Thanks for giving me the chance to give and get closer to someone really nice. Sometimes our signs in our life are put up as barriers for no reason, keeping out others who could be valuable and input so much into our lives. All we have to do is take down the signs, remove the blocks in our way, and we can really brighten up the day. Listen to the story from Chabad.org during the height of the pandemic from Aaron Lashak. Quarantine at home for months, healthcare systems were under untold pressure and economic challenges were only mounting. People around the country had been looking for any positive message of hope and encouragement, anything they could find and anything they could get. Such thoughts were whirring through Rabbi Moshe Teldon's mind as he drove around Chicago, the neighborhood of Wilmette, where he serves as program director at the local Chabad Center. He noticed a number of different signs and many front lawns around town, invariably posting a word of thanks to healthcare workers and the like. I thought to myself, what can I contribute to elevate this conversation? As a rabbi in the community, what unique angle can I bring to lift people's spirits and not just cower down in reactionary mode, but proactively better the situation? Explained Teldon to Chabad.org. I got home that day, started toying with different wording. After discussing with my father-in-law, Rabbi David Flinkelstein, director of Chabad of Wilmette, we hit on the idea. We would bring a message of contagion. Not a contagious virus, God forbid, but contagious positivity. Teldon reached out to a good friend across town, Rabbi Mendy Weg of Chabad of Northwestern University, who helped him with designing the new lawn sign. The collaboration bore fruit and a new sign with the words, Kindness. 
patience, and hope are also highly contagious. Don't wait to catch it. Be a carrier. With accompanying graphics was born. Teldon printed up seven, several hundred signs, and along with his wife, Esther Leah, spread the word that signs were available for pickup on his front porch. Spreading good vibes, we're giving away hundreds of these to bring smiles everywhere. Let's bank blanket well met with positivity, they blasted across social media. Things took off from there, and pretty soon hundreds of the signs sprung up all across town. Ruth Alexander, a member of the Chabad community in Wilmette, said she was grateful for the signs. Given how divisive the climate we live in right now is, I felt it would be beneficial to have a sign that represented collaboration and unity. I cycled several miles around the neighborhood. I'm gratified to see the signs popping up all over the place, she told Chabad.org. Many took to social media to display the words beyond the limits of their front lawn. On our front lawn now, thanks for spreading kindness, posted Victoria Shoemaker to Facebook. What a wonderful idea. Thank you for sharing a sign with me. I know I raised my spirits. Kola kavod, echoed Rina Kleber Rosen. Great message shining on a grainy day, Vitaly Kuznetsov posted, along with a picture of the sign prominently displayed on his front lawn. Not satisfied with keeping the positive energy in Wilmette alone, and after a number of requests, Teldon and Wegg worked to make the material available to other communities as well. We made the design customizable, and currently we have personalized and delivered signs to over 25 communities around the country, said Wegg. How refreshing and such a brilliant, simple idea, literally putting a sign on your front lawn to spread positivity and goodwill among the neighbors and the communities. Yes, I know there were many signs from many schools for graduation and about teachers, but this is going a step above for no school or organization per se, but just the beautiful words, uplifting words. Chesed can be catchy. Generosity and goodwill can be catchy. Use signs in your life to spread good to those around you, especially your immediate family in your house. People catch on to good moods and vice versa to bad moods, God forbid. Make sure they catch on to something contagious, something catchy, something good, such as good words, good mood, good vibes. H.com points out from Natali Zilberberg, I saw him this past spring as I was walking to the synagogue on a hot Shabbat morning in Los Angeles. He was standing at the entrance of a strip mall that I was passing, his front and back covered by identical cumbersome cardboard signs advertising an absolutely fantabulous sale by one of the stores in the mall. He was still there a few hours later when I returned from the synagogue, several empty water bottles lying at his feet. It got me thinking. Even if this person was being paid only minimum wage, it would almost certainly be more economical for the store owner to go to Staples, order a standard print sign. Why the need for the human advertisement? Then again, when was the last time that a conventional sign really caught my attention? As, and as I looked at the busy thoroughfare, it was clear that many motorists were slowing to get a look. One even quickly turned on his blinker and entered the mall's next entrance. Apparently, living, breathing signs are worth the extra cost. I'm pretty sure that entrepreneurs wouldn't be throwing out their hard-earned money on an unproven advertising gimmick. In no less than four places, the Torah discusses the laws of the cities of refuge, the Arya Miklod. In Exodus 21, Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 19, the safe havens established for those who are guilty of manslaughter when they could escape the wrath of a vengeful next of kin. Perhaps the reason why the Torah chooses to repeat this law several times is due to one of the powerful and eternal lessons the Smitzvah teaches. 
We're all haunted and pursued by past indiscretions as well as unhealthy and unspiritual tendencies. But there is a safe haven to which we can escape and find serenity. As the sages tell us in Makos 10a, the words of Torah are a refuge. Through thoroughly immersing ourselves, exiling ourselves within the teachings of the Torah, we are granted the wherewithal to successfully fend off all the impulses that hound us. In Deuteronomy 19, the Torah instructs us to prepare the roads that leads to the cities of refuge. The Talmud explains that it is imperative upon the community to ensure that the roads leading to the cities remain maintained and unobstructed, and furthermore, that every crossroads must have a prominent sign, as depicted before, directing the person to the closest miklat, refuge. The Rebbe explained the contemporary lesson that this detail of the law offers. It is our duty, the Rebbe says, to stand at life's crossroads with a large arrow sign and loudly proclaim to all, this is the way to refuge. Here's the Torah. Here's how you live it. Here's how you find peace and tranquility. We need to be signs for our chance acquaintances, for our friends, for our children. We can go to Staples and print up posters. We can buy books for our children that teach them the proper path. We can use wonderful words and homilies to persuade them to the beauty of Torah. Or we could be living signs. Living, breathing signs. Yes, it requires a deeper commitment. It could mean standing in the heat for hours. But living signs can be signs along the way. They can lead us to turn us like no other means of advertising can. We in our lives need to be living signs and lampposts for others. We need to follow the right signs on our path of life. We need to make sure we're involved in the right paths of life. We need to make sure that there is the right path for everyone around us. We need to spread goodness and happiness to the world around us. And people should see our signs of our lives to make a sanctification of God's name. If we could have everyone follow the right signs, the whole world would be much better off. We think about different signs throughout the Boratius Sefer. The Sefer of Boratius, we know that when Eliezer is looking for the, the, the wife for Yitzchak, for Rivka, he says, if I see the sign to lower the jar that I might drink or applies drink and I'll also water your camels, that'll be the one that's good for Yitzchak. That's how I know you dealt graciously. Why? Because Avram was a man of chesed. His family was involved in chesed. Only someone involved in chesed could come in. And he needed the signs along the way to see that, to join Avram's family, as Eliezer thought. The sages taught, teach in Sukkah 29a in a so when the sun is eclipsed, it's a bad omen for the other nations. When the moon is eclipsed, it's a bad omen for the enemies of the Jewish people. This is due to the fact that Jewish people calculate the calendar primarily based on the moon, which makes a lot of sense. The moon and the earth have a relationship. The sun is no relation to the, the sun or the or to the earth or the moon. I don't know why there's a 365 calendar. The whole Gemara Rosh Hashanah introduction talks about how it makes a lot of sense to make things based on the lunar. The other nations calculate based on the sun. When the sun is eclipsed by the east, it is a bad omen for the residents of the lands of the east. But as I says in Avos Nasan, when someone's mind is calm as the result of the wisdom they have acquired, that's a good sign. When someone's mind is not calm as a result of the wisdom they got, that's a bad sign. When someone's mind is calm in the face of his desire, that's a good sign. When someone's mind is not calm in the face of his wishes, that's a bad sign. When the sages look kindly upon someone, that's a good sign at his death after 120 years. When the sages do not look kindly, that's a bad sign. And the Mishnah Torah points out in robbery and lost property, we may rely and base a legal decision upon definite works of identification under all circumstances according to biblical law. Size, weight, number, or the place where the object was lost are considered short marks of identification. 
And that's the point. Signs are ever-present in our lives in so many ways. Make sure to follow them and use them for good. The Gemara points out in Baba Metziah 25, the Gemara raises a contradiction from a Bryce. If a person finds an item on which there's no distinguishing mark, along an item on where there is a distinguishing mark, he's obligated to proclaim that he found both. If the owner of the item with the distinguishing mark came and took his item but did not claim ownership of the other one, the other person who found the item acquires the item on which there is no distinguishing mark. The Gemara points out in Psachim 53, a teaches Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, A good sign for mountains is the gallant oaks used in preparation of ink. They grow there. A good sign for valleys is palm trees. A good sign for streams is reeds. A good sign for the plain is a sycamore tree. Although there is no proof for these indicators, it is an allusion to the matter in the verse, and the king made silver to be in your slime like stones. And Baba Kama points out in 55a, Rabbi Yeshua says if one sees the letter Tet in his dream, it's a good sign for him. Gemara asks, what's the reason? If we see that is because the word Tov is written at it, it starts and begins with the letter Tet. That could be why. And the Gemara in Brachos 3a says, the signs of transition between each of the watches of the upper world can be sensed in this world. The first watch, the donkey brays, the second, the dogs bark, and then the people begin to rise. And Baba Batra points out 147a. The Bryce says, Abba Shaul says, if the festival of Shavuos is a clear day, that's a good sign for the entire year. Shavuos has some element of being a Rosh Hashanah in some ways for the year, maybe for the plants or the trees, uh, like we know about Tubashvat in different areas of different aspects of the year. Rav Zvid said, with regard to the first year of Rosh Hashanah, if it's warm, the entire year will be warm. If it's cold, the entire year will be cold. And that's another point. How do you interpret the signs in your life? Do you look for positivity and optimism? Or do you immediately see the negative? Look for the good in everything and in every sign around you. The Mechot of Rabbi Shmuel points out, the sh- in Pasuk and Shmuel says the voice of the shofar, this is a propitious sign in scripture. Wherever shofar is mentioned, wherever it's mentioned, this is propitious for Israel. As it says in Tehillim, God is rising with Teruah, the shofar blasts, and the sound of the shofar, and Yeshaya, it shall be on that day, it was sound of a great shofar. Gemara in Sota 34 points out, while they're all in the, in the yard, in Yoshua said to them, pick up every man a stone, according to the numbers of the tribe of the children of Israel, that's from Joshua, and it's written that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask them to come, what do you say, what are these stones? stones? It's a sign for the children, their ancestors crossed the Jordan. So many examples of signs throughout Tanakh, throughout the Torah, throughout the Talmud. Gemara points out in Adarim 20, Bryce taught that his fear may be upon your faces from Shemos, just referring to shame as shame causes one to blush. That you not sin from Shemos teaches that shame leads to fear of sin. From here the sage said it's a good sign in a person that he is one who experiences shame. And any person who experiences shame will not quickly sin. And one who does not have the capacity, it is known that he's not standing in Harsina from his forefathers. And the Gemara Ervin 54 says... That Rav Chissa said the Torah can be acquired with mnemonic signs that aid the memory. As it says, put in their mouths, do not read the phrases, put it, simam, but rather it's signs, simana, siman. Thus, indicating the mnemonic signs aid in memorizing the material. Because sometimes we need to use signs and symbols and hints for us to study and remember things, especially related to Torah. Lahavdom, that's exactly what I used to do in college, in grad school, studying for summer school studying, for grad school studying, for college. That's how I got to things. I needed to make up weird phrases and weird mnemonics and weird songs in order to get through all the material, which was very difficult. I was very big on signs and mnemonics and the like. 
The Gemara points out in Brachos 57, one who seems himself donning to, to fill in in a dream should anticipate greatness. As it says, the people of the earth shall see that Hashem is upon you. And that comes from Devarim. It was taught in a Bryce, Rabbi Eliezer, the great says that the name of the Lord is called upon you, refers to Tefillin, and they represent Hashem on man. One who sees praying in a dream is also auspicious. And Yevamos says, Gemara Yevamos, David says there are three distinguishing marks of the nation, the Jewish people. They are merciful, they are shamefaced, and they perform the acts of kindness. Three symbols, three signs that we belong to the Jewish people. Merciful, shamefaced, and kindly people. They are merciful, as it says, so he'll give you mercy and mercy upon you, from Devarm, Hashem will have mercy, but bestowed upon you. They are shamefaced, as it says, in Exodus, is fear upon you. Fear of one's face is his shame. And acts of kindness for Amnonim, that he may command his children and his children's children, for righteousness and justice, talking about Avraham. We know Avraham was majorly chesed, the pillar of chesed. Whoever has these three marks is fit to cleave to the nation. If they lack them, they're not part of the Jewish people. And Avos themselves, and Pirkei Avos has a variation of this, that we know that we're children of Avraham, if we're also modest and, and we're shamefaced and things like that. When David saw the cruelty of the Gibbonites, he knew they could never come into Israel. And Baba Basra points out the Gemara, Lavan wanted to have Yaakov marry Leah instead of Rachel, like we saw much earlier. When Lavan's associates were bringing Leah up to the canopy, Rachel sought, how could my sister be humiliated? She's the one marrying him, therefore she gave the signs over to Leah. She didn't want them to have the humiliation. She gave the modesty to allow her sister to get married to her brother, to her husband, even though she wanted to marry him. That is an indication as pointed out from the Gemara about the signs. So signs can be fundamental to a marriage as well as to ourselves as the Jewish people. If you don't see certain traits or signs in the Jew, we worry about his Jewishness, if he's Jewish at all. If you don't see signs in marriage, there could be big problems also, God forbid. The Gemara in Shabbos 103 points that Rabbi Yossi said one is deemed liable for writing two letters only due to marking as they would write symbols on adjacent beams of the tabernacle to know which beam was another beam's counterpart. And Rabbeinu Bachai or Rabbeinu Bachai points out in Bamidbar, each man by his flag according to the insignia, ish al-diglob osos. The word osos is used here in the same sense as in Yirmiyahu where it is a reference to changes in the constellation in the skies. Each flag had different symbols, such as the flag of the camp of Ruvain depicting the Dudaim, which look like miniature human beings. We know about the Dudaim a couple of parshas from now, a couple of Sukkim along the way in Bereshis coming up. The flag of Yehuda depicted a lion cub, seeing his father compare him to that animal in fearlessness, as we saw in Vayechi. The flag of Ephraim bore the picture of an ox that Yaakov talked about Yosef being an ox. In Vayechi, the flag of Don bore the image of an eagle. When you combine the four images depicted on these flags, they were the same as that of the Chayot, part of the vision of Yecheskel, described in that book. And Shnei Luchot Abris points out, the Torah depicts this as Ish al Each man was assigned a certain task, according to the symbols on the flag he belonged to, because the point being each shaven in the Midbar, as part of the twelve tribes, had its own sign, its own flag, its own mission, its own symbol. Each tribe had a unique role and missions. Each of us in life also have our own mission. Zavulan was the seafarers and they would support Yisachar. They'd have a symbiotic relationship. One worked and one learned. Because each has their own talent. Each has their own ability. Each has their own signs, their own flags, their own purpose. Make sure to find your unique talent, your unique mission and use them properly in this world. The Baruch Shemar points out on the Pesach Haggad and Magim the extra word symbolizes in the story of the Exodus that we use it with real concrete symbols to show the power and the meaning of the story 
of the Exodus. Rabbeinu Machaya points out in Shemos, there's an accepted concept of the components of the tabernacle that there were replicas or symbols of concepts from the higher regions. Though Rechaim points out in Boratius, the stars are meant to be symbols. Hashem wanted Avram to know his descendants would be important in their own right. And the Eightfold Bad point out on, on the Haggadah, the good and evil inclination must both serve Hashem. The two goats in Yom Kippur are indicative of that and symbols of that of the two inclinations in every human. And that's another point. Symbols and signs add more concrete ways to learning and connecting to Hashem, especially with physical objects, especially with using things to bring us closer to Hashem, such as the tefillin, the talus, the kippah. Use the signs, the symbols, and the objects in your life to connect to Hashem. The last few sources teach us, like the Torah, Orach, and Leviticus, the Torah elaborates the nature of true joy, that a successful harvest we thank Hashem with visible symbols expressing our joy, the four species of plants being the signs of an example. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar points out elsewhere in Shemos, the whole matter is an adage of the symbol of what our sages say, Siman Emilsahi, that one must not dismiss symbols as of no consequence and not related to the essence of a matter. The Penei Alacha points out in days of old, the meaning of our sages' principal symbols are a real thing. Signs are a real thing. And the Shnei Luchot Abris points out, when the Torah speaks of do not make silver or golden deities, this is an allusion to the arms of the world, Chesedugvura, silver and gold are symbols. Here, don't draw symbols like realistic sun and moon like the Gemara Shoshana talks about. But think about how signs and symbols can help you in your way. Because symbols and signs have a true power. Should be used in Torah, Mitzvahs, and Chesed to bring the world to a better place than it is currently. Because signs are ever-present in our lives in so many ways. We've got to follow them. We've got to see them. Use them for good. How do you interpret the signs in your life? Do you look for positivity? Do you look for optimism? Do you immediately see the negative? Look for good. Look for everything around you. Use the signs, symbols, and hints for us to study and remember things, especially for Torah. They could be fundamental in a marriage as well as ourselves for the Jewish people. If you don't see certain traits or signs in the Jew, we worry about Jewishness. We worry about marriage. We worry about relationships. Think about the Shavit and the Midbar. Each 12 of the 12 tribes had their own slogan, their own symbol, their own insignia, their own unique role and mission. And each of us have our own unique role and mission. We have to follow the signs along the way to find our sign, our flag, our purpose, our unique talent and mission in the world. Symbols and signs add more concrete ways in learning and connecting to Hashem, like the tefillin. And they have a real power and should be used in Torah, Mitzvah, and Chesed to make the world into a better place. When you're walking around, when you're being involved in your life, what signs do you see along the way? What symbols do you see in your way? What do the symbols do for you? What do they show for you? What do they contribute for you? You think about the menorah. And what represents as Hanukkah comes upon us in a couple of weeks. You think about the Tsar of David, the Magid David. What does that symbolize for you? What does that signify for you? You think about the dove that was talked about in Parshas Noach. You think about the, the grapes that are carried and the symbol throughout the, the, the Jewish picture. You think about the lion that we talked about, about Yehuda. And we think about Chai and what that means for us. You think about the tree of life. And you think about the different religious artifacts, or the different religious symbols and what they do. What signs are involved in your life? What signs do people reach out to you? Are you going to be like Rachel, giving up your signs so that other people can be helped? Are you going to be like a real force in the world following the signs of when you were born and where were you born and what you're supposed to do? 
Are you going to understand and look at the symbols around you, look at the signs around you? You're going to be like Yitzchak, understanding that Rivka was right for him because of the tent of the glory of the cloud, because of the, the lights of the candles, because of the challah staying warm. Do you see the sounds around, the symbols and signs around you? Do you feel ways to light up the world around you? How can we be like a physical refuge for those, for the those around us? How could we be along the way? How can we think about the trap that guides us when we lay? And how can we think about what we could do along the way? Think about where we could reach people's destination. Don't watch out. Don't let people be lost. Make sure to watch out for them. Seek out how you could guide people along the way, direct people along the way. Think about the danger signs around you, what you should avoid, like Dave in the story. Think about what you should do, how you should take down the signs and be a good sister, like like Paula needed in the story. Think about how you could stand up and be good for those around you, how you could help those around you, how you could be involved. Maybe you could put up signs in your life that could be beneficial for other people, that could be kindness for other people, that could be helpful for other people. What can you do to spread positivity? What signs can you give that could spread positivity? How can you be that human advertisement, that person that could help out along the way? We can be those that send people along the way. We can be the living signs. We need to be the living signs, the lamppost for others. We need to follow the proper signs in our life. We need to spread goodness, happiness to the world around you. Make a sanctification of God's name. Follow the right path. Look for the right path. Be involved in the right path. As we see the signs along our way to direct us in life, and I personally have seen many signs in life to be in OT, to be on podcasts, to hopefully reach out for radio and take different passions of mine to lead along the way. I look for signs and connections along the way. So too in your life, look for the signs along the way. Look for the symbols along the way. Look for the way that you can make a difference in your life and the life around of those around you. If we could have everyone follow the right signs, the whole world would be so much better off. Maybe we could finally bring Mashiach today and the third base of Mingdor speedily may become true, hopefully today. This has been the TTL, Tani Talks Life, the share where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Join us next time, God willing, in two weeks, Blinader, where we'll hopefully touch upon Hanukkah and some other lessons here on the TTL. And I'm your host, Tani.